Good day and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson and as always I'm really glad you've joined us. A little later in the show, we are going to be joined by Governor Gretchen Whitmer, and I'm going to talk to her about the state of the pandemic here in Michigan as deaths continue to decline, but cases are beginning to surge again. You are definitely going to want to stick around for that conversation. But first, it is Sunshine Week, and it's a time each year that we take a closer look at ways our government can be more transparent and more accountable. Michigan has consistently ranked as the worst state in the country for transparency. Just think about that. We are not middle of the pack. We are absolutely dead last year after year after year. The governor's office and the legislature are both exempt from public records requests, and agencies all over the state consistently abuse open records laws to prevent residents and journalists from getting crucial information. Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson has a new set of proposals that are meant to make Michigan more transparent and more accountable. She joins me now to talk about them. Secretary Benson, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning and welcome back as well. Yes, (laughs) that's right. I was gone for a little bit there. Uh, So let's talk about what makes Michigan repeatedly at or near the bottom of the rank of states for transparency in state government. What, what is it that we're doing that, uh, that continues to have us fail that way? It's really just two, two policies, actually significant ones, one of which you mentioned, the, the FOIA exemptions, that make us an outlier among all other states. I mean, we consistently, as you mentioned, rank 50th in the nation in government transparency by the Center for Public Integrity because, number one, we don't require our lawmakers to disclose their personal finances, which is important in enabling accountability and transparency around conflicts of interest. If someone stands to financially benefit from a piece of legislation, that conflict should at least be known, if not prevented. And then the second outlier, but by the way, we're only one of two states that don't require that personal financial disclosure. And then the, the second outlier is FOIA, as you mentioned, and the um, our, our from worst to first package advocates for meaningful extension of the Freedom of Information Act legislation to cover the governor and the legislature equally, highlighting the fact that the current legislation percolating through uh, the legislature actually has a little bit of an imbalance and creates some loopholes for the legislature itself to uh, still have um, some exemptions from FOIA. So mm. we're calling for actual real FOIA application for the legislature. Mm. So f- as journalists, of course, this drives us absolutely nuts. It has a huge impact on our ability to do our jobs, to get information, to report to the public the things that matter about their government. But I wonder if you can talk a little about what this means for just average residents in Michigan that our our transparency laws are are so backward. It means, I mean, essentially our job as voters is to be able to hold those who make decisions on our behalf, our elected officials, accountable. And we can only truly hold them accountable if we have access to all the information about what they're doing so that we can even evaluate whether they're, um, you know, walking the walk, not just talking the talk. And so that's why it's so crucial. And that's why, you know, 48 other states have identified these you know, basic transparencies that are necessary to help us be informed and engaged citizens, which you need for democracy to work. And and we've talked about this 
for years and years and years mm-hmm. here in in Michigan. What is it about now that you think perhaps might be different? I mean, you've got this very expansive list of proposals that you're putting forward. What makes you confident that maybe maybe we get at least some of them done uh, this time? Well, I think two things. One, uh, we have seen, I mean, I mean, this, as you mentioned, it's the same agenda I've called for in the past. I've called for these changes even prior to being elected Secretary of State um, in my past work as, as um, you know, transparency and, and legal professor and, and attorney and advocate. So, so that said, it's not, you know, nothing's out of the blue here. What changed is one, there seems to be new interest in transparency this legislative session, and so we see bills moving through perhaps um, both houses, uh, perhaps making its way their way to the governor's desk. And we want to make sure that those bills are not just um, you know window dressing that uh, enable lawmakers to say, "Look, we've done it. We've expanded FOIA." If there are uh, problems with those, and, and I believe there are, there are significant loopholes and exemptions in them that actually don't do what we need them to do, uh, then we, it's not, it's challenged to enforce it, for example, uh, then we need to highlight it and, and say, no, what we really need are, you know, true transparency, true expansion of FOIA. And then the second thing is that, you know, citizens have, I think, a really, um, a increased recognition of their ability to amend our state constitution to have the laws reflect their will. And that's how we got the Promote the Vote amendments that enable citizens to vote absentee without a reason. That's how we got an independent citizens redistricting commission in Michigan. And so I think voters can now see if they want more transparency in government that they have an alternative avenue, amending our state constitution or proposing a ballot proposal that would essentially put the right reforms in place to ensure real transparency. Hmm. I'm talking with Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson about Sunshine Week and a slate of proposals that she has put forward to make government here in Michigan more transparent and more accountable. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Let us know what you think needs to happen to make government more transparent and accountable here in Michigan, uh, where we consistently rank at or near the bottom in comparison to other states uh, when we think about those things. Uh, What does it mean to you that Michigan is ranked so low? Does it concern you? What hopes do you have uh, that uh, that will change? Uh, And uh, give us a sense of how that affects you. Are you somebody who tries to get information about your government and uh, encounters uh, roadblocks or, or, or other things that, that prevent you from getting there. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Jocelyn, your first proposal is to open the governor's office and the legislature to public records requests. That is something that has consistently gotten widespread bipartisan support in the legislature in years past, but it always seemed to hit a roadblock with state Senate leadership. How likely is it that we can get that basic step done this year? I'm hopeful, as always, that we can see some movement, and we are seeing some movement, particularly through the leadership of Senator Moss and Senator McBroom, so th- that's good. Uh, the, you know, we, we hope always springs eternal that we could get real reform to the legislature. But the current bills actually give lawmakers significant exemptions and special treatment. So in, in some ways, uh, we also want to avoid a scenario where it appears that the box has been checked, that FOIA extension has been 
it put into law, but it actually create you know it has a lot of loopholes in it that doesn't actually enable access to the, to the information that um, that is one required in other offices like the executive branch, but also is is something the public really needs. That's why we have to look closely at the legislation that is making its way through. Sometimes it's not a change of heart, but exemptions that are made and compromises that enable things to move. And, and really, then the decision is, you know, do we want real FOIA or do we want FOIA that looks like Swiss cheese? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so there has been a lot of controversy recently over the use of separation agreements involving payouts and secrecy requirements. Uh, Robert Gordon, former head of uh, the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, has been at the center of that. Now, there was also some news just a minute ago that uh, the governor and Mr. Gordon have agreed to waive the confidentiality uh, provision of the separation agreement uh, that, that, that he signed. Um, but, but this still, I think, uh, sort of ranks as, a, as an interesting and maybe troubling issue. The idea of these kinds of agreements in government is not something that, uh, that, that, that we're used to. Um, the governor's office, uh, you know, uh, the governor actually signed an executive order about this uh, as well, establishing some criteria for that. You said that was a good step. But but I, I really want to hear what you think about just this the whole idea of these kinds of uh, these kinds of agreements in in a public context. Well, it, it does. Uh, it's sort of this, this intersection of two things. One, separation agreements, particularly in the private sector, are quite common. Uh, and we have to acknowledge that. But we also have to recognize that in the public arena, there is an increased need, as we've been talking about, for full disclosure and transparency, because at the end of the day, we all work for the public. Uh, and so recognizing that, I think, you, you know, any any separation agreements, and, and I'll note that my office hasn't used, for example, non-disclosure agreements at all since I was sworn into office. And uh, the governor has issued a directive for how they can and can't be used in the future, which I think is a good step. Uh, but we do have to be mindful of the challenges that, that um, you know, perhaps traditional employment decisions and conversations and agreements uh, uh, don't always translate verbatim to the public arena. And there does have to be some mindfulness of transparency. We know multiple bodies on both sides of the aisle have used these agreements. And so I think my hope is that emerging out of this moment, we'll see more attention and careful use of them in the future to, again, promote transparency while also respecting that employer-employee relationship and those the need to have discussions and agreements as well. I mean, this is also something, though, that the legislature could, if it wanted, uh, pass a statute that said you can't do this, right? I mean, this is this is something that could be Mm-hmm. Uh, prohibited in, in in the state, and and I don't I don't know if it's prohibited in other states, but it, it it doesn't seem like this is something that happens a lot in in other governments. Well, it has, as I mentioned, become clear. It happens often in our government, and mm-hmm. particularly in, in the legislature as well. So I think that that increased light on these agreements. If the public is uncomfortable with them, and, and if more information is needed, this is an opportunity for rulemaking, lawmaking, and other types of policy developments around and, and sort of governing these types of agreements in the future. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the other uh, proposals that you put forward is about requiring PACs, super PACs, and other committees mm-hmm. to report all receipts and disbursements. This gets very uh, close to the heart of some of our real issues with campaign finance in this state and transparency. 
uh, I mean, the, the the laws themselves, I think, are, are problematic in terms of what's permitted, and that's a, a U.S. Supreme Court uh, issue. But but being able to know what people are up to uh, and what they're doing is another part of it, and this would this would go a long way to to solving that. Yeah, and he's influencing the decision making in Lansing and among lawmakers. I think you know knowing that, which is the, the reality of, of of campaign finance disclosure, uh, just shining a light on uh, you know who's supporting who behind the scenes helps illuminate um, who, who may be influencing decisions and helps the public really, again, promote accountability because at the end of the day, it's the voters who should be influencing the decisions that lawmakers make. Mm-hmm. And and so with that in mind, I think it, when there is secret money flowing in and influencing lawmakers that no one knows about, no one knows the sources, it creates an opportunity, again, for conflicts of interest and other types of things that take lawmaking away from being an ex- expression of the will of the people and more towards being an expression of the will of special interests. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as a candidate, uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer promised to use her executive authority to open up the governor's office to the Freedom of Information Act if lawmakers didn't pass a statute that that did the same thing. But she hasn't done that so far. Now, in a little bit, I'm going to ask her about that mm-hmm. as well. But I wonder what your take is on uh, on that action. Do you think she should use her authority at this point because the legislature has dragged its feet? I think we all should be finding ways to creatively increase transparency in, exec- in the executive branch. And, you know, for example, in my department, we're launching a new campaign finance filing system to make it more easier for the public to see candidates' finances and uh, disclosure of, of the money behind who's supporting candidates. So I do think, you know, we, we are – it is a balance between working with the legislature and uh, and having executive authority, and you've seen that manifest itself in lots of ways over the past several years in mm-hmm. lots of different contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I think there is a consistent question of uh, of evaluating what we're able to do and and really promote to further the values that we all brought into office. Yeah. And I know that's a consistent, evolving thing that we've all worked to develop over the past. You know, since taking office almost over two years ago. Yeah, uh, you you also are taking aim at uh, revolving door type uh, arrangements where mm-hmm. somebody serves in the legislature for a, a period of time and then goes to work for somebody who's lobbying the legislature. Uh, we saw recently former Speaker of the House Lee Chatfield get himself into a little bit of a hot water over over a job. Uh, in Southwest Michigan, that uh, people thought was was inappropriate for somebody um, who'd just been the Speaker of the House. Um, talk about this revolving door issue, though, in in, in Michigan politics and the way in which uh, it it uh, again damages the integrity of of our government. Yeah, it's a reflection of a scenario where you've got term limits. So every you know every two years, there's a group of lawmakers who knows that they're not going to be there and they're going to be looking for other jobs in the future, but they're still currently lawmakers. And during that time period, you have an opportunity, or you, you know, without or without without any type of regulations, which we currently don't have, for lobbying firms to say, "Hey, I'll give you a job after you leave upon the end of your term if you do X, Y, Z." And it, that again, that type of conversation manifests itself in lots of different ways, but it's a risk that we have now. And, and when you see people take jobs with lobbying firms or other types of you know, um, establishments influencing policy so soon after taking office, 
it gives rise to this sorts of questions of whether there's a conflict and whether that conflict emerged while that person was a lawmaker and, you know, what came from that. So saying you have to have a cooling off period, let's say two years Mm -hmm. between when you leave office and you take a job that would be influencing lawmakers enables the elimination of that potential conflict. And again, it's not, this isn't, you know, a brand new idea. This is stuff that's in place in other states. It's something that we don't have in Michigan. And as a result, you often see this type of potential conflicts emerge or real conflicts emerge with people taking a job as a lobbyist immediately after the the, uh, the end of their terms. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're also calling for, of course, requirements for more personal financial disclosures from elected officials and more frequent campaign disclosures. This is a big issue because uh, very often we don't really know what campaigns are doing until after the election's over. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, and so mm-hmm. uh, it, it's not of great use to anybody after uh, after we voted. Yes. And, and so in that regard, more disclosure prior to election helps citizens make more informed decisions as voters. And that's really what it all comes down to, you know, how are voters informed about the decisions they make, the critically important decisions they make when they cast their vote, and how can they be fully informed and have access to all the information, and how can journalists, who are oftentimes the conduits for that information, have access to it as well. And in all of these reforms, whether it's around direct donations or disclosure of PAC money or uh, disclosure of the activities of lawmakers and, and executive officers when they're in office, all of this just gets to that. How do we make sure voters have all the information they need to be active and engaged citizens in a democracy? And again, these reforms are in place in many other states, and our voters deserve that same access to information that voters have in, in neighboring states. Yeah. Okay. Michigan Secretary of State uh, Jocelyn Benson, it is always great to have you here uh, on the program. What's the next step here? This stuff's got to go to the legislature, right? That is the immediate next step. But again, I think it's important to note that as we've seen with um, the the end of gerrymandering, which has been ended in Michigan, Mm -hmm. redistricting reform and a number of other reforms, sometimes citizens do have to take up voter initiatives to enact meaningful change. This is an opportunity for that as well. Uh, And again, we've seen that be the most successful avenue towards real reform in recent years. And we may see that occur again if the legislature doesn't really um, enact meaningful um, uh, legislation here. Right. Okay. Thanks again for uh, joining us. We'll Thank talk you. To you soon. Always a pleasure. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Governor Gretchen Whitmer is going to join me to talk about the milestones Michigan is reaching in the pandemic, both good and bad. Zero new deaths reported yesterday, but also the most new cases since January. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.